1: Hi guys, there is no regular episode this week. I managed to find myself hospitalized last week, so my publication dates got a bit mixed up. I'm fine, it's nothing to worry about, Uh, but I couldn't leave you high and dry. So today is an exclusive episode which was originally released to my subscribers, and today you get it for free. It's also going to give you a taste of what you're missing if, if you're not subscribed yet. You know, just saying. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with my sister Joanne, who is, of course, Taylor's mom, and I'm going to be back again next week with a new regular episode. Hello, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. Kim. like my cup of tea but for us we are absolutely in love and we're warm well it's warm here now too you know we're having one of the hottest januaries ever really what's the temperature oh like five well okay maybe it's not hot like where you are but i'm saying <laughs> like for january in calgary that's pretty hot that's pretty
2: amazing yeah yeah no it's gonna be 24 here today i think i'll be out suntanning
1: all right <laughs> Yeah, it was last night. I met Facebook messaged her in, um, like, we me and my girlfriends have, a, like, a group chat. And I said, hey, how's the boob lift and how'd it go? And it turns out this morning, I realized I sent it to Dino Mariani by accident. He <laughs> Mark Mariani's brother. Oh, yes. It oh, was his God. brother because I had reached out to him a while ago, letting him, again, letting him know that this, I was going to be doing this story. And uh oops, so then I had to do a whole thing like, I'm really sorry, and I'll I'll check the and find out how the boob job went and let you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's horrific. I think that's and so I, don't know how that would, the I don't even know how that would happen, but Today I am mixing things up a little bit again. I have my sister with me today, Joanne, who as you will remember is Taylor's mom. And she's going to tell us a story from Saskatchewan, the murder of Tammy Frank. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate you being here. And I know that you've put a lot of work into this story that you're going to tell us today. I have. I even Googled a bunch of stuff. Wow.
2: (laughs) I know. I am going to take you today on the trail of a manhunt that left two people deceased and two critically injured.
1: Mm, okay, sounds terrible.
2: Yeah, it is. It is quite horrific, actually. Um, I'm, We're going to start in Saskatchewan at uh, a place called Little Pine First Nation. Mm-hmm. A- and this is where I did some Googling because for anyone who's not familiar with Canada, I mean, Saskatchewan, it's right in the middle. It's flat. Very flat, very boring, lots of wheat fields. Yes. But their CFL team, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, their fans wear watermelons on their heads to the game. So I'm thinking, why? Yes, that is.
1: <laughs> I've wondered that too.
2: So what did you find out? Well, I kind of got pulled down a rabbit hole of how to make your own watermelon helmet. Oh, it, it was very fascinating. It, it involves lots of vodka. Of
1: course it does. <laughs> Which explains. Well, yeah. Probably most of why they're wearing them on their heads.
2: Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that it's not even like you don't even grow that in In like most of the games are in the wind, like fall, right? And right. there's no watermelons. So the store sells all out of watermelons. So no, I wish I had the answer for you, but I can tell you how to make a watermelon helmet.
1: Hmm. So it's kind of like a Canadian mystery why the, the Rough Riders wear watermelons on their heads.
2: Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, no. I'm sure the answer is out there somewhere, but uh, like I said, I got distracted with how to make a watermelon helmet. We're going to talk about Little Pine Nation uh, for a second because it's a Plains Cree First Nations band and it's located about 53 kilometres northwest of uh, North Battleford. It's at the foot of the Blue Hill and rests along the shores of the Battle River. Now, when I last checked their website, they have about 2000 band members and about a a thousand, just over a thousand are living off reserve and about a thousand that are living on reserve. And again, I did my Googling and I went through their website and their reviews and they have lots of services uh, on the reserve. But I did find a video where their chief was speaking out about the neglect that he's seen from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And I also came across an article about how in 2021, the Crown transferred back the coal and mineral rights to Little Pine First Nation, which is kind of a step in the right direction about ensuring First Nations are able to obtain their reserve rights under Treaty 6. And I know that you support missing and murdered Indigenous women. Yes, very much so. so I thought we could just have a quick chat about that because I recently interviewed author Sheridan Taylor, who wrote the book, Not Okay, Okay. And we were talking about intergenerational trauma from an Indigenous perspective, but we ended up talking about missing and murdered Indigenous women. And what was really fascinating about the conversation was how he feels it's rooted in our own colonial intergenerational
1: trauma, that that's at the root of the issue. So what do you mean like... uh like our, like our as settlers, our trauma that we had, or just that the root cause of the missing murdered indigenous women and girls is the colonial, um, like the, set, the, the generational trauma that we as settlers put on um, indigenous peoples
2: yeah no that it actually goes back further it from before we even came to this country. how we came at, at the root of racism is fear, mm-hmm. so we come in and and just through our own intergenerational trauma of so so uh, take uh, john Sir John A Macdonald, I mean he was originally Scottish, and look what the Scottish people went through right so we've carried this through generations and generations this hate and this racism and this this oppression. And then we bring it into canada when we arrive here it was just it was a fascinating take on it that is
1: really interesting really interesting because it's it's such a it's almost like a like a forgiving nature about it saying okay we we understand that we've been extremely traumatized by the abuse and the neglect that we've suffered at the hands of settlers but that they're trying to understand okay why are why were the settlers doing that like that is really interesting and i I did not know that i had heard that before that's that was that was really good i i'm gonna look more into that
2: yeah yeah it was fascinating and i'm gonna send you a link to a report from mmiwg that talks about what we can do as a society for anyone else that wants to get on board and support the missing and murdered indigenous women movement because fighting that racism is a big part of it but to do that, we kind of need to understand racism and where it comes from. Sure.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be great.
2: One of Little Pine's residents was Tammy Frank. And Tammy was born June 13th, 1980. And she came from a huge tight-knit family. She had tons of brothers and sisters, both biological and step. Mm-hmm. And it, and in fact, on Monday, October 10th, 2016, Tammy was at home with her sister, Lacey, Lacey. Lacey's young son their parents and some cousins they had a house full they were all at tammy's home in little pine first nation tammy had a on again off again relationship with sheldon kyle thunder blanket and he was from nearby sweetgrass first nation but they had officially broken up in september and it it hadn't gone well right of course yeah and, and Tammy often acted as a stepmom to Sheldon's kids before their last breakup. And now I actually spoke with Tammy's sister, Lacey. And one of the first things that Lacey said was how much Tammy loved those kids. And that this is one of the reasons that it was hard for her to walk away. But she had finally completely ended it in September. Okay. And the family was worried because of Sheldon's escalating violence towards Tammy, They. Family members were quoted in the paper as calling Sheldon a crazy or crazed ex-boyfriend with a history of harassment and intimidation.
1: Okay, I can see where this
2: is going. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've heard this story before. The evening of October 10th, just before midnight, Sheldon broke into Tammy's home and he had a 243 rifle. Now, a two hundred forty three loads a 6 millimeter cartridge, and it can bring down a deer. It is a large rifle that packs a massive punch. Oh. He pointed the gun at Tammy and fired two shots at her, and he, he wasn't done. He, he tried to shoot her a third time in the face, but luckily the gun jammed. Oh, my God. He removed the round, loaded another into the chamber, and then turned the rifle on her sister, Lacey, and shot her in the shoulder. Now, remember, the entire family was home that night, including Lacey's young son. But oh. thankfully, he only had four rounds, then took off from the house and just left everyone in a chaos. You can. Do we know how imagine. old Lacey's
1: son was? At the
2: time? yeah he he was wee he was he was um I think just just around four anywhere between four and six I know he was he was
1: quite little oh but old enough to be traumatized yeah. that's awful
2: yeah yeah the whole family was left traumatized oh it, it was heartbreaking
1: cutthroat
2: uh RCMP received a... you said cutthroat <laughs> oh cutthroat <laughs> thank you
1: they are rather cutthroat but
2: <laughs> <laughs> cut Cut Knife, RCMP, received a complaint of a firearm being discharged from insider residence. Now, Cut Knife is this wee little town located just off Highway 40 northwest of Saskatoon and about 55 kilometers west of North Battleford. So it's about 20 minutes away from Little Pine. And when the police entered the home, Tammy was found deceased and pronounced at the scene. And her sister Lacey was taken to the hospital. Now, I saw pictures of Lacey's injuries and it was horrific. It blew out the entire backside of her shoulder.
1: Oh my God. So she must she lived, I'm assuming.
2: She lived, yeah. And and then, well, but yeah.
1: she would have had, I mean, months of therapy for that and just, it, oh, how, ter- it how was. terrible.
2: It was, it was months. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, I had the privilege of speaking to Lacey and, and she's, um, she had just had another baby she's oh. in school. She's doing, she's doing really, really well. yeah Um, but at the same time, I mean, her family is, was just left devastated. I mean, from, from what she said, and I know her brother wanted to speak to me too, and I couldn't, didn't have an opportunity to talk to him, but Tammy was just a lovely woman. Yeah yeah and such a tight-knit family I mean we know we
1: know well and that's that's important to note a lot of times Indigenous families they are I mean they really believe in the idea of it takes a village so their families it's it's extended family and and like you know friends of family become aunties and 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 uncles and it it is like it uh, one event like this take maybe takes down one person, but God, it affects like, it, well, it affects the entire reserve village and, and so many people. It's just really, really yeah. terrible.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and we are going to talk a little bit later on about about Sheldon's family as well, yeah. that, you know, it really was a, a tight-knit group. Uh, in fact, Lacey also shared with me that Tammy, after Tammy was killed, they found this journal that she had kept about all of the things that Sheldon would do and say, and she even wrote in this journal that if anything happened to her, it was him. Yeah. But she was so private that she never shared this with her friends and family.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a familiar story, too. Right. I want to go on a <clears throat>
2: page about that because too many women hide the the abuse that they face and and you and I both know that it it can lead to homicide. That that it is a real possibility when, uh-huh. meeting, when dealing with domestic violence. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and you know, there's a lot of reasons why women do hide it. And and I know that so many people could would say, you know, oh, if it were me, I'd you know, but but there's shame and there's fear around it. They don't want to disclose their situation because it might make them appear weak or vulnerable, and. You know, yeah. or, or they stay quiet out of fear for their own safety. What's he going to do? A lot of abusers use like, threats and intimidation to keep their victims silent.
1: Yeah, well, I've talked about this a number of times because I, I mean, domestic homicide and domestic violence is is one is a type of story that I tell quite often, <clears throat> which unfortunately happens way too often. And I know that instinctively, there's always that you know, well, why didn't they just leave? Question. Mm-hmm but it is such a complicated issue. And, and you're right. They, I mean, these people are the, the, the men and women that control, they control not just with intimidation, but they also control with, you know, by, by tearing you down over time to make you feel like, well, you can't, you're, it's impossible for you to do anything on your own. You need this person. And, you know, they, they plant these little seeds of these ideas. Well, what are you going to do? Um, know when i when i do this or when i take this away from you or that like it's really it is a really complicated issue and it's it's not one that if you if you've never been in the situation it's you can't really answer that question about why why you didn't leave and so for family members that are left on the outside watching as we know just telling the person, like, you know, your boyfriend's an idiot, or I don't like him and, you know, he's dangerous, it doesn't do anything because they're the the guys on the other side say, saying, Well, of course your family doesn't like me. They, you know, they don't they're jealous of us. They don't understand, mm-hmm. they don't care about you the way I care about you, and 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 completely revise their own personal history to make them believe that they're where they need to be and that anywhere else is going to be
0: worse
2: yeah and and the love bombing is a big part of it as well that uh, a a lot of women hide it because they might believe the relationship is still salvageable because of that cycle that they go through with the love bombing and then the walking on eggshells and then the explosion and you know it's it's yeah yeah no in, in talking with Lacey. um you know, one of her biggest questions was why, right? Well, why? So that the shooting happened Monday by Tuesday morning, there was obviously a full scale manhunt on for Thunder Blanket. Uh, he was wanted on charges of first degree murder, attempted murder and aggravated assault mm-hmm. to that Tuesday uh, at around three o'clock, police actually stopped Sheldon's vehicle about 25 kilometers west of Golden, B.C. near the weight scale. So Golden is about eight or nine hours west of Little Pine. And they pulled him over. He failed to comply with the police orders to get out of the vehicle and instead opened fire and hit Constable Amber Brunner in the arm. Now, she was airlifted to hospital in Golden where she recovered, but she did need reconstructive
1: surgery done on her hand and her arm. Do you know in your reporting if he was stopped as a result of the description put out or or was it maybe just happenstance that he got stopped for something else, like for speeding?
2: You know, I couldn't find any information on that. I I, I couldn't. From the sounds of the reports, though, it sounds like they pulled him over and ordered him out of the vehicle okay. that, that he that because of the description of the vehicle. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. Uh just the way he opened fire. And one report I read with C B C said that Sheldon sustained a flesh wound in the forearm from what was believed to be a nine millimeter um by the officer. So yeah. she winged him. Yeah. Well poor. He then hijacked a vehicle so he stopped an suv forced the family inside to get out at gunpoint got in and fled west on the trans canada highway god it doesn't stop there fearing that sheldon was turning the car around and coming through the area again the police ran around with their high powered rifles yelling at everyone to get out of your vehicles and get over to the ditch and i'm gonna quote because this idiot's coming back and we don't want you to get hit by gunfire oh
1: god chaos
2: yeah, can you imagine? Like I just,
1: yeah, I would. I would be terrified.
2: They were. Yeah, yeah. I read a lot of of uh, stories of people that. I mean, they're so here. They are. They're huddled in this ditch for nearly two hours before the RCMP deemed it safe to go back to their cars. It's October, oh. so it's cold. Yeah. They're stressed out. Everybody like these are families with young children huddled in the ditch. Oh. Yeah, and I guess people were. Well, this sharing. would have
1: been around Thanksgiving, right? So people traveling on the road just trying, it's just trying to see their family or get home from seeing their family. Like, that's awful.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was pretty horrific for all of them. And, and then, so two hours they had to stay there because two hours later, they finally located his vehicle driving West to Revelstoke on the highway and then a highway pursuit ensued. So, so they tried to stop him using spike belts and roadblock and, and they even opened fire on him. They fired 11 shots at the vehicle. One of them struck the SUV in the driver's side mirror, but none of them hit him. Yeah. He continued driving away until he got out of sight, uh, about 200 meters from the roadblock. He jumped out of the vehicle and then made his way down an embankment into the woods. Okay. So if you've ever been to Revelstoke, it's it's beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. I mean, British Columbia in the wilderness, this dense evergreen forest. Mm-hmm. It's a good place to hide. <laughs> yeah. So police launched a major search with helicopters, dogs, tactical teams. They closed off the Trans Canada for about four hours. They were doing vehicle searches, searching the area. The search was mostly focused on Revelstoke's Johnson Heights neighborhood. Now I've been to that neighborhood Mm -hmm. and it's pretty secluded. It's so it's bound by there. There's railway tracks to the south and the west. There's the and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Elisowat River to the south. And then you've got the highway. Yeah. So yeah. it is kind of secluded. Uh, and there's very little development, but it's because it's cut off by the railroad tracks. And and according to the city of Revelstoke, they had more than 65 people, including RCMP emergency response teams, canine units, air services, cool. search and rescue, CP rail police, yeah. and Parks Canada Emergency Responders were all out searching for him. Wow. Yeah, till the next morning at 10:10 10, 10 a.m. Sheldon was found dead in the river. Now, he was shot by police, so the Independent Investigations Office or IIO sent nine investigators to Revelstoke to determine what happened. Sure. And the IIO is like they're the official BC police watchdog and they investigate all incidents which people are killed or seriously harmed due to police action. Right. And the BC Coroner Service, they did an autopsy to determine the exact cause of death. And they did find the flesh wound in his arm from the shooting near Golden. He had several cuts, scrapes, and contusions, as well as a head wound. And the IIO said they interviewed the police, civilian witnesses, reviewed uh, video evidence, 911 calls. They examined physical evidence from both the scenes, and they determined that there was no involvement from police. Okay so how
1: do we like okay so he was shot in the arm mm-hmm. uh hit several cuts scrapes and contusions and a head wound yes like did he when he was shot did he fall down nope
2: running through the forest he fell down and hit his head on a rock while fleeing the police and okay. died as a result of the head trauma <laughs> so i mean karma's a bitch a little um, bit so,
1: <laughs> so the uh, so he died because he's running from the police trips falls over a rock and then like what he just like then he wound up in the river so it wasn't drowning he no, had like, actually it was actually the head like it actually fractured his skull
2: yeah it was the so head. he
1: fell hard
2: yeah tripped oh, and hit cr- his head on a rock that's crazy i know I know now I, and you know, I mentioned, I talked to Lacey, I asked her how she felt about his death and not having the opportunity to face him in court. Mm -hmm. And she, she, she feels it is a blessing, right? That her and her family were spared that agony. But like I mentioned, she still wants to know why, right? I get it. I get it. I I've been on a mission to understand why for the past four years and that, that podcast podcast, mental health mavens i'm going to plug it (laughs) but i mean technically it's a client's podcast but but they know that i selfishly have guests on to help me answer the why question and i've talked to doctors and psychiatrists and specialists who work in the prison system addiction specialists and so much more um in fact i have an interview uh, next week or the week after with a doctor where we're talking about forensic implications of trauma in the criminal justice system
1: Hmm. that'll be interesting to listen to.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating because that why is so important. Well, you know, it's
1: interesting. I've talked to a number of people about that, the why question. I I had a conversation a bit about it with Detective Dave Sweet, the um, homicide detective here in Calgary. And I just recently was talking about it with Collier Landry from uh, Moving Past Murder. And we, we talked about this why question. Like I, that was originally for me, it was, it was a big question after learning the what, because for me, like the, for some reason, the details are super important to me, but the why was important. And that's why I started the podcast. But I, I've realized now that the why, I mean, for one thing, it's never really going to fully get answered because you and I don't think that way. Like we don't think in terms of, of, um, Murder as a solution to anything. So it's hard. For, so even if I sat down with Dustin and we went through and said, he said, "Okay, on this day I was thinking this. This is exactly what what why I did." I, I still wouldn't answer it for me. So I have since moved on. And what has helped me, rather than trying to answer the why question, is the what now question. You know, what can we do now to prevent these type of tragedies in the future? and you know what can we do to sort of see the red flags and protect ourselves from it and what can we do to further that person's legacy the victim's legacy um to you know get their stories out there and just try to bring awareness to the issue so i I totally understand the um issue of wanting to answer that why question i get it i get it for you and i get it for Lacey. um i just i'm starting to take a slightly different take on that
2: yeah yeah no no I agree I for me I'm still on the on the why because once I understand the why then it helps so for example there's some reports that Sheldon was a meth user and Lacey confirmed that um, mm-hmm. which was just like Dustin mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more research coming out on math and violence and when you think about it you, you can take the sweetest gentlest person and introduce meth or or some other substances and and you get someone who's completely unrecognizable and Mm -hmm. that's where interviewing a lot of the doctors uh has really helped me in, in understanding brain structure and how these drugs change brain structure and that that damage is what leads to those bad decisions and the impulse control issues i mean i just interviewed a doctor last week where we were talking about brain injury because you know you hear about these serial killers mm-hmm. and one of the one of the common things is is brain damage right, right? It, it issues with that frontal cortex so so for me when i understand the why i can have a little bit more compassion or empathy i can see the how And that for me leads to forgiveness, which, which leads to healing. Um, But you're right. It's, it's how do we prevent these things in the first place?
1: Yeah. Well, and I, and at the end of the forgiveness part, I think that as best you possibly can, regardless of the circumstances, you have to find a way to find some level of forgiveness, not never for the other person. It's never for them. It's for yourself because to hang on to, rage and anger and just that con- just the constant reliving of the person's last moments and 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 all of that just it, it consumes you and the person that you've lost would never never want that for you no no
2: no exactly you know Lacey and i had talked about forgiveness uh, and she she forgives um sheldon's family in particular uh, that and she she actually honors them that that for every murder that's out there there's sometimes this whole other family that's left devastated mm-hmm. and and she gets that i mean i you and i both still hold space for dustin's family and and care very much for those boys and and for me even even dustin i mean he's such a sick boy and and my hope for him is that he finds recovery because that's another thing with with the brain and addiction is is it's it's neuroplasticity it heals it does it is possible to heal
1: Mm -hmm. so and if he does heal I mean the emotions and the regret that he's going to be left with is is true suffering I mean that's when people say like oh I want him to spend the rest of his life in prison like that's that's not really suffering the suffering comes from regret and wishing you could turn back time and and that and and it's sad that like right now as far as we know right now dustin is not uh he's not making the steps no. to to do what he needs to do uh, so right now he's he's really not suffering no and it's so sad that when and if he ever does that's when his true suffering is going to begin when he finally takes accountability and and realizes the extent of what what he lost um, and what he's took taken away from someone else now in this case it's it's even sadder because there is no opportunity for that right I mean Sheldon's gone and you know they're they're never going to have the opportunity to either you know watch him grow or have that justice like that's that's really sad
2: yeah yeah it is that there, there is some news articles that that quote the family and they're clearly grieving his loss they lost a son and 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 we should honor that and um you know, you hear about these things. Okay. So there was that, that, uh, episode, that YouTube video that dropped on Taylor. And one of the comments, uh, was about how the parents blaming the parents and no,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: no, you can't do that. Yeah. The
1: victim, the victim blaming is really just that just don't even get me started on that one.
2: Yeah. I, I had to shut that one down yeah so if there's three things that I could leave your listeners with based on this story and my experience, that is that if you're experienced in domestic violence or if you know someone who who is that you know is however overwhelming and frightening it can be that there is resources, i mean we always say it reach out, there is support and yeah. and the the second being that in terms of the the drugs is that addiction recovery is possible, so I mean I've been very open about this. I'm a sober woman woman and I've stayed sober through through losing Taylor and mm-hmm. and through the the court shit show and everything and and in fact my own healing journey was so much more impactful because of sobriety. And yes, you know, you do ha- get your feelings back when you're sober, so I felt every moment of this, but because I did, I I healed. Yeah. And and yeah, that third one is forgiveness, you know, carrying that that hate and that resentment only, like you said, it only blackens your own heart. Yeah,
1: for sure. For sure.
2: That was my story of the Thunder Blanket Manhunt.
1: Wow. Well, that I mean, that was a really interesting story. It brings up a lot of a lot of issues that, of course, I I'm, I'm always I don't want to say fascinated. I think these are uh, domestic homicide is one that I think I understand the least about. Because I just don't understand how someone in your inner intimate circle you can treat like an enemy, mm. um, and and why it's so dangerous when you make that decision to leave. And that sounds like very much the same here. That when Tammy made her decision that this is it, this is and and he knew that this time she was serious about it. Um, that that's when his rampage started.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And most
2: most take the lives of the of the spouse and then take their own lives. It becomes a murder, murder, suicide. But for this guy, no, it was just pure hate. He was going to take her and, and make sure that nobody could have her again.
1: And I wonder what his what his end game was like what he was. I mean, obviously, he wasn't expecting to hit himself in the head with a rock and and die. Like did he did he honestly think he was just going to run into the woods and then all the everything would calm down and he'd just come walking out and like I, I that's another piece that I don't I don't understand the the afterwards like what what was your what are you thinking but that I learned yeah. that about Dustin too what was what, what are you thinking and
2: that that's where the brain the the brain changes come into play and and that's the biggest thing I've learned is that with that impulse control there is no next thought. Right, it's only in that moment. That's as far as the brain and the thinking and the cognition can go. Is I feel this. Yeah. This is my reaction, and that's as far as it goes. There is no reflection. There is no. There's no consequences that come to mind. That it. It's actually. That's just how the brain works.
1: Yeah. Well, and and how scary to think that if he'd had a fully loaded rifle. I don't know anything about guns like I don't know how many bullets you can put into that kind of shotgun but if he'd had enough for the whole family like that just it's chilling Mm -hmm.
2: I know I know I was listening to a podcast last night where a guy took out his entire family I think there was nine members of his family and then went into town and and started taking out everybody that ever heard him before and and there was Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that that was what the Nova Scotia rampage, I think that that's what that was about. It wasn't just about, I'm not going to just take out my, um, I think they were common law, my girlfriend. I'm going to, I'm going after everybody that's ever gave me a hard look because this is, this is how I'm going out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Well, I I mean, I'm, I'm happy that Lacey has found some forgiveness. I hope that the rest of her family, especially her son, Um, That's very true. I hope that they're all getting the, you know, the mental health services that they need. The violence that is against the Indigenous people of Canada is, is shameworthy. It's, it's, and the lack of resources put towards solving those cases is, is really, really sad. Really sad.
2: Yeah, no, no, I know. I've got a a number of friends that uh, come from different, different indigenous communities. Um, And I mean, these are strong, vibrant, amazing
1: women. I want to go back and give you your plugs. So we have mental health mavens. Where can they be found? Uh,
2: Anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay.
1: And where can we find more about you?
2: uh well I have a podcast too empowering nonprofits. but um yeah no if anyone ever wants to reach out you feel free to to connect them with me I, I I talk a lot about um addiction recovery obviously and and grief and healing and and I'd be more than happy to to chat with anyone who's struggling
1: one I know my list my listeners have kind of come to to know you a little bit because I've I've mentioned you um a couple of times I know I know there's a lot of them that are um really touched by your the forg- level of forgiveness that you've been able to find for um against Dustin I think that everyone's going to be interested to hear directly from you uh and then also this story because I think this story is very interesting and I'm glad that you told it I'm, I'm just happy that you were able to come on and spend some time with me and Kidding, I was so
2: excited to do a podcast with my sister, my baby yeah. sister. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, and, and then,
1: talking about something that's not boring, like uh not-for-profits. Yeah. Well, not for profits yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> when, not for for- are very they do very, very good work. But <laughs> true crime is, you know. True
2: crime is more interesting. yeah more
1: interesting. And actually, you know what? I do kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that. So I think a lot of people are fascinated by both you and I's interest in true crime Mm -hmm. after what we've been through now you I think you were like me before Taylor was murdered you you did have an interest in true crime is that correct
2: true crime horror anything spooky yeah
1: and did that did anything about it change for you after Taylor's death
2: Actually, something changed for me recently, and that was after that Coffee House YouTube came out, I suddenly realized um, at first my position with true crime was always like we want to tell our stories. As a true crime survivor, I want to tell the story. It's part of my healing process, Mm -hmm. but when somebody else told the story without Mm -hmm. my consent or w- without their facts being completely straight, it really soured me. It really soured me. Suddenly, I feel like, because you see on TikTok all this stuff about true crime, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it it soured me a bit. I suddenly have a different, now I'm extremely choosy about the true crime that I listen to.
1: Mm-hmm. And that, that's interesting. Well, actually, you know what? It did, it changed for me too after Taylor's murder, because before that, the I listen to a lot of the podcasts that are like I don't know if I can even s- say podcast names, but like my favorite murder, which is probably one of the most famous ones that mixes comedy mm. with with murder. And at the time, I did I you know listened to it, again and they weren't. It's not like they were making fun of the victims. I I get that they were you know making fun of like in this case the circumstances. Right, the guy trips and falls, breaks his head on a rock. um But afterwards, I can't I can't do it. Like there's nothing funny about it mm-hmm. so there's I just don't get the the comedy now it it is interesting two things have recently changed for me one is about cold cases that somebody brought up the point about cold cases that especially down in the states where information is revealed you know they they're reading all these like I don't know if you've followed the Delphi murders and this yeah. Moscow, idaho the the murder down there and they're talking they're reading out these probable cause affidavits and they're conjecturing about well maybe it was this maybe this. i don't i don't like any of that it's it's all theory none of it's been tested in court um so there's a reason why i don't do cold cases the other thing that has changed recently and again like you, you brought up um the true crime youtube video that did taylor's story I get what you're saying about how, like, you know, without asking for people's permissions, because most of the time, to be honest with you, I, I'm i not asking for permission. So I find it super important to me to get the details as right as possible, right? Just because one report said something happened, you know, did that, Is it necessarily true? Try to actually pull the court documents when you can so you get the actual, you know, the the truth according to the um that, and get those details right, and if you're not sure of the details, cut don't make it up,
2: yeah, yeah, you know, that's, just, that's just just to tell the it. story,
1: and that's what I felt that this particular youtuber was doing is that he was filling in gaps with his own kind of like just how to make it sound more like he knew more about it than he really did mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's fair if you don't know, you don't know um because otherwise you are being disrespectful to the family, but um. I I think I still err on the side of, for most of the people that I have talked to, because I have talked to some family members, certainly reaching out and letting them know that I'm going to be doing an episode, for the most part, they're pretty good Mm -hmm. in that, you know, but but I'll tell you, you get one thing wrong, and they will point it out to you, and I don't blame them, you know, if it's a mispronunciation, or, you know, like, it it could be the tiniest little detail, they want it right. So. yeah
2: no i and I see why i I really do yeah and and that's why I reached out to to Lacey on this one is is I wanted to make sure that uh she was okay and make sure that I had my facts right no nobody had covered this story before Ooh. and and I thought it was an
1: important story how did and, you uh how did you initially come across it
2: i We were going out to Revelstoke. Mm-hmm. and i was just i don't know i just googled true crime revel stoke and and it just came up in a news feed i i think it was really one of those things that was meant to happen because then i i emailed Lacey or i messaged her I, I found her on facebook and and then we had a conversation and it just seemed to be a story that needed to be told
1: yeah and so she was she was good with you uh telling it and
2: Yeah, I had wanted to do an interview with her for for a different podcast I was thinking of doing, but uh, I don't don't have time for this stuff. I don't know how you do it, Kim. (laughs) It is is a
1: weird obsession. And I think I drive Tim crazy because he doesn't like true crime, really doesn't like it. And it's all I talk about. Every night I just sit while he's watching his, you know, Gold Rush or whatever he's watching and I'm just researching true crime.
2: thank you again kim for the opportunity this was this was a ton of fun and i love doing the research and um it, it was a nice breakup from my boring um nonprofit podcast and uh although i do love the mental health podcast that one's easy the people yeah. come on and tell me interesting things
1: yeah i bet i've actually watched a couple of those videos they are interesting yeah yeah, yeah we've got some good ones coming up for sure thank you so much for coming